Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. Hey, this message continues our sermon series, Chambers, with our very own evangelist, David Deger Hernandez, and a message he's entitled, Holy Spirit Within Us. Enjoy this message. Well, can we give the Lord a hand of praise this morning? Could you stand, keep, remain standing for just another couple minutes here? I want to invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to come. I'm going to minister a relatively short message here this morning, and then I just want to ask the Holy Spirit to begin to touch our lives in a fresh way. You want that? Would you just lift your hands and all across this room begin praying in the Holy Ghost? Just begin to surrender all right now. Jesus, we honor you. Come on, begin lifting your voices all across this room. Loudly and boldly now praying in the Holy Ghost. Steve, could you please sing that song, Jesus, name above all names. Jesus, name above all names. Beautiful Savior. Beautiful Savior. Glorious Lord. Glorious Lord. Church. Blessed love you, living word. Every voice lifted now as we sing Jesus' name above all names. Jesus, name above all names. Beautiful Savior, glorious Lord. Redeemer, blessed Redeemer, living word, living word. So, Holy Spirit, we surrender the service to you. We thank you in advance for every life being touched, every heart being transformed. We thank you for that perfect peace, that comfort gentle touch of your presence we invite you this morning to come like a mighty rushing wind fill the house Lord let this be a place where miracles happen where people experience your liberty just take just another second please just continue to worship him we love you Jesus I want you right now with hands lifted and eyes closed to just begin to worship him in your own words out loud begin to speak and declare those things who he is to you, what he's done for you. Thank him for his mercy, for his grace, for his love. Come on, people of God, lift your voices and begin to worship him. We adore you, Lord. 
We adore you this morning, Jesus. Father, break every bondage this morning. Heal every sickness and every disease. We cancel every assignment of the enemy in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for the victory that we experience in you this morning. So, Father, with hands lifted and hearts filled with praise, we give you the glory, Jesus. Begin to sing it now, Steve. Holy are you, Lord. to us through your word. We pray, Lord, that as your word goes forth, that we would see the reality of the Spirit. That we would see things as you see them. That we would walk as you desire us to walk. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And the church said, Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise this morning? And then you can be seated. Good to see you all. Thank you, Ismael and Steve. And you guys just hang out. I want to minister this morning on the Holy Spirit within you. Now, we are, if I am understanding correctly, Pastor Isaac, we're concluding our series today, no? So this is the conclusion of the series, Chambers. And we're talking about conditions of the heart 
internal workings of human nature, those things inside of you that affect everything around you. And so I want to end this series by talking to you about the greatest reality that's within you, and that is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, as you've learned this month, there are many different things that will affect the way you behave, the way you think, the way you talk, the way your demeanor is projected. But I want to talk to you about a greater reality within you that has the power to shift everything around you. And this is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, we talk about this, and we often talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit. We talk about how God lives within us. We talk about having Jesus in our hearts. And that's wonderful that we talk about it, but I think sometimes that we talk about things so much that those realities are no longer truths that we truly understand, but rather they become cliches that we use as superficial encouragements. But I want to show you something in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm going to read verse number 23. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse number 23. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Everybody say this. I am a spirit who has a soul that lives in a body. Okay, so your spirit is your connection with God. It's that which remains in fellowship with the Holy Spirit 24-7. Your soul is the area of your personality. That's where we experience probably most of our trouble. This is the realm of decision. It's your mind, what you think, your emotions, what you feel, your will, what you desire, your personality, how you behave. Your soul is the realm of decision. Your soul is either being affected by the internal reality of the spirit or the external realities of the world in which we live. To live by the spirit means I'm being influenced from the inside out rather than from the outside in. And though the heart of man is internal, it's still an outer shell of who you are. You are not your body. You are not your soul. You are not your sin. That soul that we battle on a daily basis seems to be fighting against our spiritual desires. In the physical realm, we experience things like temptation, but we also experience things like fellowship. In the soul, we experience joy and peace, but sometimes we experience doubt and sorrow. And there's this internal struggle that almost gives you the impression that there are two of you battling it out for influence in your life. But here's what Paul the Apostle writes in Romans chapter 6, verse 2. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Here the scripture is talking about the reality that we are dead to that former self. We're dead to who we once thought we were. We're dead to all of those tethers that are attached to different parts of the world from which we think we gain our identity. Your soul is within you. The heart is within you. 
But because the spirit is deeper still, your soul and heart are still considered the exterior. Some of us try to serve God from our exteriors. We try to serve God, for example, with the physical body, and it is good to be involved in church. It is good to do ministry work. It is good to participate in charity. It is good to show up to meetings and to fellowship and all of these wonderful things that we do in the physical realm. The problem is if you try to serve from that place, you wind up tired and with religion and not with a true connection with God. Some of us try to connect from the outer shell of the soul and we think that by emotion we connect with God spiritually. When we worship, we try to work up ourselves into a frenzy to come at it emotionally, hoping that we can gain that spiritual high from hyping it from an outer reality. Now, it's good to sing and to dance and to shout and to clap and to sometimes wave flags as long as you don't hit anybody in the face. But, but you know, if those expressions aren't coming from deep within, that's not even really worship. You're just singing and dancing. You're, 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 just, you're just trying to work a spiritual connection from the outer shell, which is called the flesh, and you cannot produce something in the spirit from the flesh. And so the problem is we live by these external realities. And this is why some of us are so inconsistent in our commitment toward Christ. Because we live from outer circumstances. And we will show up and we can be counted upon. And we'll be consistent and we'll pray and we'll read the word. And we'll do what we ought to do so long as the circumstances allow us. So long as our feelings are in the right place. And because the emotions go up and down, if you live by your emotions, so will your commitment be up and down. Your, your commitment level will be tied to the soul and not to the spirit. So here's what Paul writes in the next chapters, Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, I'll read. So the trouble is not with the law. In other words, what God requires of us isn't the issue. For it is spiritual and good. The trouble, he writes, is with me. For I am all too human. A slave to sin. I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. Watch this, verse 17. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Now that's gonna be a key verse. We'll come back to that in a moment. Verse 18. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my spiritual or my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. Can anyone identify with what he's writing here? I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me. Again, he repeats that point. Verse 21, I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. 
I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Now, how do we reconcile this? Because in Romans 6, 2, he just told us that we're dead to sin. And then yet here, it seems he's talking about the fact that we're often very alive to sin. The old man is dead, but it seems like he's resurrected almost every morning. Traffic. Old man starts to resurrect. Someone gets on your nerves. The old man begins to resurrect. Money gets a little tight. The old man starts to resurrect. These things creep in very subtly. So how do you reconcile this? There's a story about a woman by the name of Catherine Coleman who was a powerful uh, evangelist and revivalist and God used her. I mean, I can go on talking about her for a while, but she made a heavy impact on, 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 our, on our generation. And believe it or not, everyone sitting in this room has somehow been impacted by her legacy. And so what people don't realize, some people don't realize, is that before she had become mightily used of God to that capacity that many of us know her for, that she had actually been married and then divorced. It was a tragic situation. It was a horrible situation that she found herself in. And, you know, she got things right. She got restored. She began to serve the Lord more fervently. And that was something that she had put in her past. And then she put her mind to serving the Lord and committing to the things of God. And one day, a woman comes up to her after the meeting that she was preaching. And she says, Miss Coleman, you shouldn't be preaching the gospel. You shouldn't be a pastor. You shouldn't be on that platform. You're divorced. You, and she just begins to rebuke her, starts to bring up her past. And Catherine Coleman did as only Catherine Coleman could. And she said, oh, my dear, I believe you have me confused for someone else. You see, it's the identifying with sin that gets us in trouble. Paul was not saying that you're not responsible for the decisions that you make. Paul was not saying that God won't hold us accountable for our sins. Paul was not even necessarily saying that we don't have a choice in the matter. Rather, when he writes that it's not him doing it, but sin living in him, he's choosing to not identify with that part of him. What does that mean, to not identify? It means to recognize that that part of me isn't me anymore. That, 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 that part of me that wars, that's not even me. That's some old person who keeps trying to come back to life. That, that has nothing to do with me other than every now and then it creeps back into my life and I keep pushing that old man away. You are dead to sin. So then, your identity is not found 
in the physical world. Some of us do that. We root our identity in how much money we make, what kind of car we drive, what clothes we wear. And whether some people have a lot of money or little, they still identify by that. Oh, I'm well off, or I'm poor. I drive a nice car. I drive a beat up car. I wear nice clothes. I don't wear very nice clothes. And we identify with that, and we base our whole lives around building the exterior. And some people identify with the soul, how intelligent they are, how they're feeling, what they're thinking. This is not the way to identify yourself. This is not how you root your identity. You are one with the Holy Spirit. If I were to get two glasses of water and pour them into one pitcher, you would not be able to separate one cup from the other. They would be one. That's what the scripture describes when it talks about you being one with the Holy Spirit. And this isn't a reality for then and there. This is something to experience here and now. Watch this, John 17. I'm going to read verses 17 through 26. Watch this now. Now this is Jesus praying for you, his church. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Verse 20, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for those who will ever believe in me through their message. So that's us right there. 21, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be as one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples you sent me. I have revealed you to them and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. Here Jesus is talking about a unity really in all directions. Unity with each other. Unity with the Father. His unity with God the Father. God the Father's unity with God the Son. God the Son, unity with us. And then our unity with God the Father through God the Son. It's everyone is just one. Everyone is connected. And you notice that he says that the world may believe. This means that he's describing a oneness, a union that's for here and now. And not something that's to be experienced then and there. Otherwise, how would the world see it? How would the world receive of it? How would the world come to believe by it if it was something for then and there? The Bible makes it clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 20. And God will raise us from the dead by his power. This is 1 Corinthians 6, I'm reading 14 through 20. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scripture says the two are united into one, but the person who is joined to the Lord 
is one spirit with him. We'll actually stop there, verse 17. The person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. This means that deep within, you are actually living in perfect unity with God. Now, I know it doesn't always feel that way. And I know sometimes in the exterior, you do things that seem to contradict that inner reality. You've heard it said that there are two natures within you battling it out for influence in your life. But the scripture says there's one nature. The scripture says there's one spirit. It's not your spirit and the Holy Spirit. Your spirit and the Holy Spirit are one. It's not half of you is good and half of you is evil. No, the real you, your spirit, is 100% good. Now that you've been born again. Now, before you were born again, completely different story. So then, spiritual growth is really not even my spirit growing. Think about this for a second. If my spirit is one with the Holy Spirit, everything he has, I have. Everything he wants to do in me, it's already been done. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness. I am, we are seated with him in heavenly places, the scripture says. So it's already done. you're, you're, You're asking God, Lord, let me connect with you. You're already connected. Lord, I want more of you. You can't have any more than all of him. Lord, I need more of your power. All the power he has, he already gave you. Everything is already within. So then your spiritual growth isn't your spirit growing. Spiritual growth is when your inner man influences the outer man. Spiritual growth is when my spirit affects my soul. When my spirit affects my body, how I behave. That's spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is the rest of you catching up with who you really are. Spiritual growth is the rest of you catching up with who you already are in the spirit. And see, once we are broken from this idea that we're good than evil than good than evil, it actually becomes easier to walk in that reality because we're not begging God for a connection. We're not begging God for him to help us grow or help us to know his truth. All of that is already known in the spirit. 1 John 2, 27 tells us this. You've received an anointing within you. The anointing is within you. It's already there. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't need anyone to teach us. It says that you don't need anyone to teach you the way of salvation again because your spirit already is saved. Rather, what it's saying is that you have what God wants to give you. So then in the chambers of who I am, though it may be complex, though there are layers to me, though I do have issues with the outer man, though I do have issues and struggles in the body and in the flesh, I know that deep within who I really am is one with God. This is why people leave churches because they don't know who they are. This is why people go back and forth into the world because they don't know who they are. They make one mistake or they struggle with an issue And they can't sit in church services. Why? Because they feel like a fake. 
They feel like they, they don't belong. They feel like they're not really one of us. They feel, I can't really do that. That's not really. And they say things like, well, maybe that's not for me. Maybe it's not for who you used to be. But as of now, you are one with the Holy Spirit. So think about this. When you do make a mistake, when you do sin, when you do things that you know you shouldn't do, and you sense that disconnect, and I'm not just talking about blatant sins, I'm talking about things like apathy, I'm talking about things like pride, and doubt, and fear, and all of those things that affect us. When you do those things, you're not acting in your own identity. So people come in and they say, oh, I messed up. Now I'm in church and I feel like a fake. I tell them this. I say, I have really good news for you. You are a fake. You're not a fake Christian. You're a fake sinner. Because, because you're pretending it's not who you really are. Think about the fact that the fact that you battle, the fact that you struggle is proof that the Holy Spirit is in you. Otherwise, who would be in you to fight against the flesh? You think that's you wanting to give that up? No way. It's the godly desire within you. When you come to the realization of who you really are, where your identity is truly based, you begin to live out of that. And you, you stop trying. You know why some of you can't have an encounter with God? Because you're seeking something you already have. You keep waiting for your emotions to confirm what the scripture already tells you. I don't feel God. I don't sense him. Well, because you don't believe he's with you. Because you're waiting for some exterior experience to validate something you should already believe by faith. And you're seeking, God, please touch me. And he's saying, I already did. God, please come. I want more. I want more. You already have me. God, please hear me. I'm already listening. God, please look at me. You already have my attention. You see, I'll close with this thought. There are two different expressions, really three, but I'll talk about two different expressions of the presence of God. There's the omnipresence of God. Psalm 139.7 talks about the everywhereness of God. Everywhere at all times, no matter where you go. And then as we just read in 1 John 2.27, there's that internal, the indwelling presence of the Spirit. But then there's this third one, that, which is one of the two that I really want to focus on. This is the, the manifested presence. This is when you can sense Him near to you, when, when He's all around you. You know that when you worship, we say things like, wow, I worshiped and the presence of God just came. I saw a meme with a guy on his, with his hands on his hips, like kind of like, really? It said, this is God when we say, when an omnipresent God hears us say things like, God showed up in church. I'm thinking God showed up in church. He's everywhere. See, the omnipresence of God is his awareness of everything. But the manifest presence of God is your awareness of Him. The manifest presence of God isn't God coming any nearer. 
The manifest presence of God is experienced when I realize, I accept, I believe by faith, He's already with me. He's already with me. I think we need to learn to live from the Spirit. To live from knowing within. To live from moving from within. Not by emotion. Not by whim. Not by exterior circumstances. Deep within, John 7, 38, out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. You want to live in the Spirit, and you want to make that commitment today, and you want to ask for the Holy Spirit's help. We just want to pray with you. If you want that, I want you to stand up right now and come stand at this altar. You say, I want to learn to live like that in the Spirit. I need to learn to identify with the oneness that I have with Him. I need to learn to identify myself, not by my mistakes, not by my past, not by my sin, but by who I am in Him. If that's you, don't hesitate. Just stand up and come down to the altar. This is for every believer. This is for every believer. And you watching online, this is something you want to experience. You live it. You live it by obedience to His Word, belief in His Word. Everyone here at the altar, hands uplifted, eyes closed. Hands uplifted, eyes closed, praying in the Holy Ghost. Lord, we love you. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would experience newness of life. Help us, Lord, to be aware of this reality. Help us, Lord, to be rooted in who we are in you. Not by our accomplishments, not by how we serve you, not by our ministries, not by our, our, our finances or any exterior or emotional or mental attachment, but Lord, let us live from within. From within. I want you to take a moment, church, now. Just begin praying out loud in the Holy Ghost. Come on. Jesus, we love you. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.